You're listening to Emphasis On Air, the new podcast from the PHA UK, talking all things PH and what matters to you. Hi, I'm Sean. Hey up, I'm John. Hi, I'm Mary. And together we're all part of Team PHA UK. Welcome to today's episode of Emphasis on Air. Um, Today I've swapped my usual sidekicks, Sean and John, for two special guests for a rather special episode. So 2021 marks the 21st anniversary of the PHA UK, so we thought it'd be a fitting end to the year to speak to its co-founders, Ian and Kay. So we'll be chatting to them about how and why the charity began, how it's changed, and we'll be celebrating some of its achievements too. So we're here in Sheffield. Kay's come all the way up from West Sussex and Ian's come about five miles. I've got my way for you. <laughs> so can we just start by introducing ourselves then? Okay, Mary. So my name's Ian, Ian Armstrong. So I'm chair of the, the PHA. I've done since its formation, but I'm also a nurse consultant at the Pulmonary Hypertension Unit in Sheffield. Okay. And my name is Kay Yewett. And I am the Secretary Trustee of the PHA and um, have been since it first started. Um, My son was diagnosed with PH in 1999. He's now 36. I think it took him about six months to start on effective therapy. And he's actually done rather well since then, um, which we feel very grateful for. Excellent. Let's go back in time then, 21 years to the year 2000. So what made you two come together to form a patient association? Well, from my point of view, um, Lewis was um, by then had been referred to um, Great Ormond Street and Professor Howarth. And she realised that we were quite enthusiastic to get involved to help other people. So she suggested that I went along to a meeting at the Royal College of Physicians where Ian was speaking, and I first met Ian and quite a lot of other uh, medical professionals there. We got chatting. Uh, I was, myself and my husband were very keen to help because we knew how isolating it was um, for a member of the family to be diagnosed with such a, an extremely rare conditioning. And there was absolutely no information out there. You, you couldn't find anybody else who was affected. And how old it was, was Lewis devastated. when he was diagnosed? He, he was um, 13 and extremely poorly when he was diagnosed. So um, it, was, it was quite overwhelming for the whole family. But I had found um, some support in... Um, finding some friends in America from the American PHA and that really had transformed how we were coping with the disease and also it helped us very much find the right treatment for Lewis and as a family we didn't really um, want other people to go through the same experience as we had been through um, where we just felt so isolated so I was very keen to get involved in any organization that was going to come together to help other families that had been in the same situation as us so I got chatting to Ian and it sort of snowballed from there really you, you'd been talking to other people in the background as well about similar sort yeah. of organizations. And the actual meeting itself that we attended the Royal College it was at the time when the Department of Health was designating pulmonary hypertension services as specialised services. That was the purpose of the meeting. So it was bringing um, the great, the good and the ugly together. Which, <laughs> which one I attended. were you? <laughs> I, I attended on, on the latter one. And the, the, the purpose of, there was never any intention at that stage to form a national charity for pulmonary hypertension. That wasn't its, its main purpose. It was about 
trying to provide, as Kay's already said, some support mechanism. And it was probably going to be like telephone support of peer, you know, so um, either parents that were going through the same sort of thing, patients, adult patients who were going through a diagnosis of pulmonary hypertension. And we've got to remember at that stage as well that there wasn't any real treatment for pulmonary hypertension except um, intravenous epiprostinol, Florlan, which was rarely, it was extremely expensive and was rare, used very sort of sparingly anyway. So it was, it was a very different arena was pulmonary hypertension. Okay. So that's what it set out to do in those early days then. And obviously it's evolved quite a lot since then, hasn't it? So can you just talk us through some of the ways it's changed since the year 2000? Gosh. Well, um, Big question, I know. <laughs> the internet has really changed the whole platform <clears throat> that we work through. Um, to begin with, um, everything was done on a very tiny scale. Um, and um, it was completely started from scratch, um, where we sort of just sort of put a, a membership form together very crudely, really, looking back on it. Um, I mean, I do. I think I remember the very first sort of meeting. If we had one, we, 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 we had one at the Royal Free Hospital in London. Um, there was a, a nurse specialist down there now who, who lives and works in New Zealand. But I remember the meeting because there was about half a dozen, maybe eight people there. And uh, two of the guys who attended, we actually had to pay their rail ticket to get there. I mean, that, so we, we were actually on nothing at all. Um, as Kay said, we started from nothing. Um, and with a lot of sort of naivety, we didn't know where, where we were going. And, and it has evolved. And it, it's evolved because I think there's, been a, there's always been amongst this patient population and parents, etc., a real desire to, to make things different and to improve stuff. And when you've got that, I think anything can be achieved. Uh, you know, when there's a, a common aim. Um, and probably the fact that there was very little that healthcare and medicine could do made that need to understand what it's like and how did you cope and what did you do really important and central to, to what the PHA was. And and the internet, as Kay said, was it was around then, but you know, it wasn't like it is now. I mean, we're on it all the time. So Well, I remember in the early days, it was actually still dial-up. Yeah. So, um, it's, so it's, it's beep, 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 yeah. beep in the background. Sound. And also it was very slow. Yeah. So I used to sometimes get up in the night to, to do my research on pH because it was just a different world. Sean's busy laughing. Before you were born, Sean. <laughs> Before you were so, um, yeah, I think things have changed a tremendous amount. And, and I think one of the other bits, it's all bits of jigsaw and on reflection, you look at it, one of the crucial things for our organisation and for P the world of PH per se was the first licensed medicine for pulmonary attention, which was Bacenta. And what year was that? Gosh, you don't ask me that. I can't. <laughs> I, it was around that time. It was Whatever it was, it was around that time. Um, mm. And what it actually meant for us as an organisation is a pharmaceutical company, a drug company was involved in pulmonary hypertension. Uh, and what that does, it, you, you've got a mutual agenda here. I mean, you want more people on your drug, but you want to support those people on that drug. So it was Actilian at the time. And um, I remember the, the first meeting care that we had with um, the Actilian people. They didn't even, hadn't even got an office and we met them at the Westminster Hall, I think it was, on the steps of Westminster Hall in December, their director and their sort of medical advisor, and that was about it. And we, we had a, a cheap, terrible cup of coffee somewhere. Mm. But what it was, they brought some resources, and some of those resources were money. Because one of the things that I, I think is just really is important, as a charity, charities can't exist without money. Mm. And I never make an apology 
for trying to generate income. We're not a we're not an organisation about generating income. But if you don't have resources, you're very limited to what you can do. And there's no government funding for the PHA UK at all? Well, well to begin with, we, there was the opportunity to apply for a grant from the government. Um, I can't remember what the criteria was. It was all around now, education. It was about educational yeah, material. Yeah. But I think you, you're right, Mary, as well. It's an important point that you know charities get no money. And we as an organisation get no money from central government at all. Um, no. Whether that's right or wrong, I mean, we don't. And, and there, there's not... There's, there's nothing there. And we, we actually get very little money compared to, you know, proportionally, even from drug companies now, pharmaceutical companies, we, we always operate around somewhere between 5 and 10% of our income on that basis. But uh, Yeah, so the amazing f- fundraising yeah. that, that our members and supporters Absolutely, and it's really crucial, crucial because that, that's yeah. the bit that enables us to do all the things that we can do. And, you know, without it, we can't do it. It's... it's I think I liken it to having a tiny weenie snowball at the top of a hill which is how we started, and you push it off and you you become successful. You actually manage to produce good material. You manage to put people in contact with other. You become a resource centre for other people. And the snowball starts going down the hill. It gets bigger, which generates more money because people are quite keen to fundraise and to be part of the whole team of helping each other. So the snowball gets bigger and bigger, and it's got to the great big snowman it is today, really. Um, I love that analogy, especially for this time of year. Yes, yeah. of course, yeah. 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 And of course, 4,500 members today mm-hmm. and growing. It's free to join the PHA UK, and we now have over 4,500 members. Sign up on our website at www.phauk.org or give us a ring on 01709 761 450. Did you ever think you'd get this? Well, no, I mean, honestly, it wasn't. I mean, we thought it would be a handful of people coming together. And um, we, I mean, that is our membership around for between four and a half, five thousand membership. But we know, for example, go back to the web, you know, our internet sort of activity and websites. And, that, you know, those that activity during COVID went up to 16,000. And, the, the, you know, there's people that are signed up members so they're on our mailing list to get it. But we know that large numbers of people use our resources anyway. And, and one of the... The founding pre- or founding desires of the PHA was to produce evidence-based material for patients and their family because there wasn't any. And that remains our focal point now. It's uh, information, information, information. How you disseminate that information, how you make it understandable, um, uh, you know, what information is sought has changed dramatically over those those 20 years. So, you know, initially 20-odd years ago, it was about what is pulmonary hypertension? What's the treatment? The what absolute it, basics, yeah. wasn't and it? And it was, I mean, it's, it's, it was, it's scary now, mm. but it was really scary then mm. for, for people with... A lot with, of unknowns. With abs- lots of unknowns. Uh, and there's still unknowns, but it, it's, mm. it's different. We're, we're better at communicating that. The clinical teams are, are, are better at doing those sorts of things. I think one of the things that is unique, you might want to sort of touch on this as well, is that it is a patient-focused uh, organisation, but in the UK, the PHA UK, one of the reasons I think it's been really successful and continues to grow is the way that we've interacted with the key stakeholders. And by that, I mean things like the specialist centres, um, commissioners, those sorts of things. So we're not just, we're, we're not separate from them. We engage with them. We're, we're not their puppets either, you know, but we, we know that if we're going to move things forward and, and be successful, access to therapies, which are very expensive, we've got to engage with those people. It's a real community, isn't it? I it's a real team effort. Yeah. PH community in the UK. 
know, we don't separate patients <coughs> and family members from professionals. No. So lots has happened over the last 21 years, obviously. Do you have any standout memories, anything that you look back on and really makes you either smile or feel proud? I think memories that make me smile the most, probably because I have a child that well, he's not so much of a child now but um how old is it 36 um yeah i think it was the family weekends because they are just have been the most amazing weekends that i think i've ever been involved in to see all those children enjoying themselves forgetting their illness all the siblings and and grandparents sometimes and parents just just in in talking to each other and interacting and and it, it's been such a humbling experience to to watch that and be involved in that those are the things that have made me smile over the years and when, when we've driven home in the evening it's just left you with a lovely warm glow that you've been taking part and in being involved in such an amazing event whereas I think from a um, an important sort of um, event that I think has made the most to the difference to the patients has probably been the political campaigning from my point of view that we were involved in because at one stage that we were very much at threat for having the therapies taken away the pH patients due to funding and we launched a huge political campaign where we had um, receptions at uh, Westminster, we had Westminster Hall debates, we had members writing to their members of parliament. And how long ago was this? Um, it was around 2007 so it was what people will be familiar with the NICE National Institute of Clinical Excellence, it's changed its name slightly but in that, that time it was a very powerful sort of influential body in healthcare, and what nice, nice actually made a decision that was, which basically meant at that stage the only therapy that patients with pulmonary hypertension could have access to um, would be sildenafil, Viagra at that stage, and maybe oxygen. Um, well, and maybe oxygen <laughs> and, and stuff. So they were going to withdraw everything, and they'd made the decision. And as Kay has sort of described there, and all that political lobbying, and, and and it was not about us doing it; it was about engaging people with pulmonary hypertension, mm-hmm. their families, writing to MPs and doing, you know, we over, we were the first organisation, we were the first people to overturn a nice decision around 2007, 2008. They, the way that it was communicated, the decision was changed. They didn't say, you've won. That's what not what government departments do and, and sort of big bodies like that. But we changed, we changed the decision. Uh, and, and it was crucial because if we hadn't done that at that stage, where we're at now, would just not happen. You know, it would have destroyed specialist care. And uh, the, the PH service in the UK, England, Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, uh, Southern Ireland, is is the envy of the world. And um, but we, we, could have, we would not have seen that if, 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 for want of a better phrase, they'd got away with it in 2007, which is what they wanted to do. Because, and the reason was all based around that the, the cost of the drug therapies was so high the Department of Health and was saying that the, the benefit to society wasn't worth that cost. And that's that's the harsh reality sometimes of that. But um, And because it's a rare disease area in small numbers, that fight was really hard because we got limited resources. And I go back to this thing about monies and fundraising. Without that, we couldn't have done it. And the pharmaceutical companies at the time were couldn't uh, were powerless because you know there was nothing that they could do. But the patient voice patient is voice changed, to, isn't it? Patient that voice changed it. Um, and because the, the, the one thing about a patient voice and a patient argument is always right because it's the, the, the experience of it. Um, and it is, you know, we presently now on the in 
website and in Emphasis magazine, patient stories make a difference to other people. Uh, and what's my highlight of 20 odd years in pulmonary hypertension? It's all those patient voices. It's just that, you know, it, it, it is, it's humbling, it makes it worthwhile. Um, simple as that. If you want to get to know the PHA a bit better, follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. So what 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 role have patients and supporters played in the last 21 years, you know? Would we be sitting here today looking back on all these achievements without the support? Absolutely the not, and I think that the um pH patient population um, are amazing. They want to get involved so much in in what we're doing and um, being part of, as you say, a community. And without it, there wouldn't be a PHA at all. Um, so. Do you have a message for all these people? Well, no, I mean it is it is it is what it is. I mean, you know, what one of the things that we we always check ourselves against and the benchmark everything that we ever do is only ever done because. The, the patient membership and when we say patient we talk about the whole family so not just the individual we do what we're asked to do so we don't come up with an idea and impose it on something um so we, we we do that and that's why i think we you know we've we've had that response so what difference does it make it makes all the difference in the world um because only the patients themselves and their families can experience pulmonary hypertension I'm a nurse consultant, as you know, and, you know, from a clinical perspective, we can understand the disease processes and all the clever stuff, but the really clever stuff is living with it and having a good quality of life and having normal, that's the real clever stuff. Um, and I don't say that in any sort of patronising way. It's very easy to do the clever stuff because we, we can do it in, in sort of isolation and walk away the end of the working day, go and do something else. You're not having like to live it, are you? No, Don't no. Uh, and, and people do live it really well and live it with high quality. Uh, and it's remarkable. You know, one of the un, un, unused resources, I always say, in, in managing and caring with pulmonary hypertension, I think from healthcare professionals, is that we underuse the patients themselves. We've got much to learn from them. I think that um, the members and patients that have been involved in taking part in the surveys over the years, they should all thank each other for doing so because it's made such a huge difference to how we can go forward with various campaigns and uh, producing a lot of the information and the educational material that we have managed to produce. And a lot of that has been based on what the patients have said and our members have actually said that they wanted and we've been able to take it all and and take it forward. So... Each member should thank each other for helping each other out, which that's, is all that, part that's of being a, sort a community. Of evidence base that we can use <coughs> when we have used in political lobbying. Um, over the years, I mean, you know, we, we've, I think over the last sort of five years, and I, I know myself as a chair of the PHA sat on a number of decision making bodies that have, have li- made in the UK drugs like Reasigwat, Selexipag, uh, Nebulized Iloprost available in the UK because they go through the processes and uh, we've had to present data, and we we we, that's, we use that survey work, we use that research work to to make those differences. And without it, we would not have been successful. And it is that collaborative voice, and it's a, a voice. And one of the phrases Kay uses quite a lot is that we've always had to fight above our weight. You know, we we we've got to do that um, because uh, you know. We're not. I, I always get annoyed when people call us a small organisation. We're not small. We're just really dynamic. Uh, and, and that we're only small by definition. Can't make it big. 
the best can't, things come make... in small packages. Well, anyway. yeah, I mean, looking at you and Kay, I can believe that, but um, <laughs> they also come in larger packages as well, looking at myself and Sean. <laughs> that. But, um, yeah, it, it isn't, it's, 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 it is the, you know, it's, it's been dynamic and, and responsive to, to, to that type of thing. So, um, and... You know, I, I can go to, to those sorts of meetings where these things are discussed with a, a huge degree of confidence and evidence because we've got that data behind us because, our, you know, many of the clinical, many of the survey works that we've done, the research projects that we do as an organisation have been far bigger, bigger than any clinical trial has done in pulmonary amputation as far as numbers are concerned. Most recently, we've just done the, the impact survey in the pandemic. So, you know, we've had nearly 1,100 people take part in that. There are very few clinical trials in pulmonary hypertension that touch that. So the data that we're going to be able to extract from that and what we can do with it will be really powerful going forward. Yeah, and I think the PHA has turned out to be a very unique organisation that that is obviously um, you know, the envy of the world in some cases. Um, I think another thing that is extremely um, something to be proud of is the fact that our members have been so generous with their fundraising and have enabled us to instigate projects or help with projects that um, have been so meaningful, like the National Audit. The PHA um, funded the National Audit to start with, didn't it? Yeah. And that has become such a powerful tool for the specialist centres to gather all their information together and then can take that forward. I mean, that, um, what the National Audit does, it demonstrates that what we do makes a difference. So it, it's a... All people with pulmonary hypertension enter into the National Audit database and the therapies that they're on. And the people the, in the NHS, the commissioners, these are the ones who release budgets, need to know that. And quite rightly should. I'm a taxpayer. We're all taxpayers, all being taxpayers in one way or another. So we need to know our resources being spelt wisely. And the National Audit, as Kay says, demonstrates that. And it's just over 10 years, isn't it, Kay? That I we, wonder whether it would even have got would, off, the ground off the ground if we had not funded it. that type of thing. So. Yeah. You know, again, it's that collaborative work, and it's collaborative. It's collaborative with the clinicians, and, and, and so the clinicians are talking about the doctors, the nurses, pharmacists, physios, and all that that are involved in specialist centres and, and pulling that data together. Um, and and our you know national audit is again, it's one of the envies of the world as far as managing pulmonary hypertension is concerned because it's fairly unique in, in many ways. Yeah. Lots to be proud of over the last yeah. twenty-one years, and lots to look forward to. But oh, well, I, I think finally, I was just thinking, you know, any really sort of outstanding thing. If we go back to the original purpose of the PHA was to produce evidence-based material, good quality material that was understandable for patients and the families. And I think the, the most recent um, recognition that we've had of that, the, the Pulmonary Hypertension uh, Association of the UK, is the independent academic study that's been published by the Canadian PH uh, physicians, and they looked at. Um, um, 200 websites, um, patient websites, pharmaceutical websites, professional websites, etc. And um, I mean, we knew nothing about it, so it's an academic process to use tools to assess readability, accuracy of information, up to date information. Um, and we shouldn't be surprised, but which organisation came out top in, in all of that was PHA UK. And that says everything to me that, you know, 21 years ago we started with the desire to produce materials that were accessible. 21 year in our 21st anniversary by chance purely by chance um this independent um or academic group in in canada um uh did a study in the last sort of 18 months that, that put us at the top of the tree about reliability up to date professional accessible readable 
And you can read more about that study and the outcomes on our website. Good. <laughs> um, www.phauk.org. Um, so thank you both. I think um, there's a lot to be proud of over the last 21 years and lots to look forward to as well. Um, I've been involved with the charity for just over five years now, so it's interesting for me to hear about the beginnings and where it all came from and, and where it's going. So um, I think all that's left to say is have a good Christmas. And you, yes. <laughs> and the same to all our listeners, and we'll see you for the next episode soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. Goodbye. The podcast will be available across all platforms, Apple, Spotify and Google. So please make sure to give it a rating and a review and hit subscribe not to miss out on an episode of Emphasis On Air.